Uh, all right, as Jason said, if you have your Bibles, please open them to 1 Peter with me. Uh, and you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. This morning, we're going to begin our study of this concluding chapter for this letter uh, by looking at just verses 1 to 4. So let's read this together. Peter says this. He says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Being led or being guided by someone can either be a very easy and pleasant experience or a very painful one, right? We've all been on those road trips with someone driving in front of us who claims to know where they're going, but then makes every wrong turn imaginable. That's a, that's a painful experience. Or maybe you have had a bad tour guide at a museum. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of tour guides unless they really, really know what they're talking about and are really good at communicating. But, but oftentimes, if they're not very good, I, I will quietly leave the tour behind. But a good tour guide can make all the difference in the world. I'll, I'll never forget visiting Germany in 2017 for the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And when we visited the city of Wittenberg, where Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door, we had the best tour guide that I have ever experienced. He was an older gentleman who had been born and raised right there in Wittenberg. He was a, a third-generation tour guide by profession. Uh, he knew absolutely everything that there was to know about Martin Luther and about Wittenberg. He had been doing it for 40 years. It was an amazing experience, as you could ask him absolutely any question, and he didn't just give surface answers, but in-depth answers to whatever question you had. It was amazing. The, the point is this. Who leads us is very important. Quality guidance is important. And, and the importance of who leads us and guides us only increases depending on where you're trying to go. And so if you're just casually walking through a museum, you may choose to go without a tour guide altogether. But if you're trying to climb to the top of Mount Everest, you're going to want to choose the most qualified guide that there is available. Clear leadership matters when clear guidance is needed. And friends, this is exactly what 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4 is all about. This passage is about the, the shepherding care of pastors within the local church. In these four verses, Peter is talking primarily to the men that are called to serve as pastors within the local congregation. And so within the context of Redeemer Fellowship, Peter is talking primarily this morning to both Jason and myself as your pastors. But church, that does not mean that you as the church should not pay very close attention to these words. Because 
quality leadership matters, particularly when you are going through hard times. And that's exactly what we see in the context of this passage. If you remember from two weeks ago, Peter has just finished talking to us about the presence of current trials and really the promise of future trials and suffering through persecution. Peter's been very honest with us throughout his writing about the suffering and pain that we should experience or that we will experience and that we should expect as God's people within the church. And so Peter is very intentional here to move from this discussion of suffering and trials to a discussion about pastoral ministry. That may may not seem like a logical flow to us, but friends, this is not a tag-on. These four verses are not just a quick side note from Peter. This is essential to what he is trying to communicate to these elect exiles that he is writing to. He wants to offer us yet another means of God's grace for our lives as we live as elect exiles in a fallen and broken world. And church, the means of grace that Peter wants to give to us this morning is the gift of pastoral ministry. And so while these four verses are primarily directed towards us as pastors, the entire church should pay very close attention to what Peter says here because the picture he paints of pastoral ministry is for our good and for the strength of our souls. Folks, here's the main idea of the passage this morning. And I I promise I didn't intentionally use so many words that start with the letter G. It just kind of happened that way. But, But here it is. Here's the main idea. Pastors are gifts of guidance to God's people who must themselves be guided by God's grace. Let me say that again. Pastors are gifts of guidance to God's people who must themselves be guided by God's grace. And friends, this morning, believe it or not, we have 10 points to help us to understand this more clearly. Yes, I just said 10 points. Fear not. It'll be done in a timely way. And no, they don't all start with G because that would have been truly impressive and I'm not that skilled. But church, if you are called by God to follow God-given leaders within the church, it is important, it is essential that you understand who a pastor is supposed to be and what a pastor is supposed to do. And we can find 10 things, maybe even more than that, in this passage that are essential for all pastors to have in order to be faithful to their calling. Pastors need to remember their calling. Pastors need to have team ministry. They need to live in community. They need to receive extra local care. They need to long for glory. They need to shepherd the flock of God. They need to cultivate joy in their ministry. They need to be gentle in their ministry. They need to be godly in their ministry. And they need to follow the chief shepherd. Those are our 10 points this morning. Let's not waste any time. Let's jump into the first point. Number one, pastors need to remember their calling. Friends, we can see this in the, in the first three words of verse one. Peter says, so I exhort. So I exhort the elders among you. The, the word so there is a tie back to the preceding discussion in chapter four about suffering and trials within the church. And as we saw two weeks ago, that, that an essential part of that suffering, an essential part of our trials is the 
is the testing, the, the proving of our faith that God is doing in our lives. And we saw together two weeks ago that Peter says that this judgment of God, this, this testing of our faith will begin with the household of God, with the church. And so it makes sense, doesn't it, that Peter would move directly from this discussion about the testing of our faith, which starts at the church, to talking about pastoral ministry. If God's judgment will begin with the household of God, well, then how the household is led matters a great deal, right? And this is the pattern throughout Scripture. The leaders are judged first. The leaders are assessed for faithfulness first. In fact, many scholars see a a direct connection between the judgment of verse 17 in chapter 4 back to an Old Testament passage, Ezekiel 9, when when God passes through Jerusalem in order to, to mark the people that are his and in order to mark the people that are not his. And it says explicitly in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 6, that God begins with the elders of the sanctuary. And so it seems like, like 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 is simply consistent with a broader pattern of Scripture that when God comes to evaluate his people, when he comes to evaluate his church on the final day in particular, he will begin with the pastors. James says in James chapter 3, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so if God's judgment starts not only with the church, but with the leaders of the church, it makes sense that Peter would quickly move to exhorting the leaders of the church. Peter needs to exhort them to be faithful to their calling, not just for their own sake, but for the church's sake. Because as the the pastor leads, so will go the culture of the church. And so if the church will be judged faithful, pastors must be exhorted to lead in faithfulness. And church, every pastor needs this in their life. We need to remember as pastors that our calling is a holy calling, that eternity is at stake for, for ourselves and for those that we lead. Pastors are not just creating a club that people can choose to be a part of or not to be a part of. No, the pastor's work is in eternal matters. And every pastor needs to be regularly reminded of this by each other, by other pastors in other churches, by members of their own church. They need to be reminded that they are laboring not for this world, but for eternity. Church, please pray for your pastors pray that we would never forget the eternal weight and significance of our calling and that we would lead and shepherd faithfully. That brings us to point number two. Pastors need team ministry. So this is a point that Peter doesn't just clearly state here, but that is clearly implicit in what we read. And it it seems valuable to mention this morning in this discussion. Look at verse one. It says, So I exhort the elders among you. That that word elders, the Greek word is presbyteros. That that word, when when used throughout the New Testament to speak of the leaders of the local churches, is is always plural. It's, It's never singular. So Paul charges Titus to establish elders in the local church. James tells the sick to call for the elders, plural, of the church to come and to pray over them. Acts chapter 20 
speaks of the elders at Ephesus, plural. And we see it in other places in Scripture as well. Moses raised up elders to share leadership with. Jesus himself had 12 disciples, and when he sent them out, he didn't send them out alone, but together. This, this is team ministry in action. Alexander Strzok, in his book on biblical eldership, says this about team ministry. He says, shared leadership should not be a new concept to a Bible-reading Christian. Leadership by a plurality of elders is a sound biblical practice. And folks, here's, here's why this is so important and so, so valuable for us to see as a church family this morning. Team ministry, a plurality of elders, is, is so valuable because it brings balance and accountability to a pastoral team. A plurality of elders gets to share their gifting. They get to share mutual accountability. They get to share the workload. Team ministry is is one of God's primary ways to strengthen and to protect his church. And as a pastoral team here at Redeemer Fellowship, we thank God for the gift of team ministry. I thank God that I don't lead by myself, but that I have Jason who comes alongside of me and serves with me. What a gift this is to us. Jason and I are very different people. We think very differently. We disagree often, but it's good because it sharpens us in the work of ministry and it balances us out. And together, Jason and I thank God for how he seems to be growing our team even more. We announced at the members meeting on Tuesday night that both Nathan Lee and Sean Smith are now pastoral interns and are now officially on the ordination track. Church, praise God with us that he's strengthening and diversifying our pastoral team. We need this. We need the diversity that plurality brings to us. And so let's let's praise God for that. And let's keep praying that God would raise up even more pastors to serve faithfully at Redeemer Fellowship in the years to come. Okay, point number three. Pastors need to live in community. So Peter says, verse one, so I exhort... The elders among you. Those two words, among you, also speak to, the, to a value of biblical leadership. They speak to the need for leaders to not be above those that they lead, but, but to be among them. Pastors have God-given authority over the church, but they live among and are part of the church as a whole as well. Church, too many pastors stand apart from their church. They, they sit in their offices and they study their books and then they come out and teach and preach occasionally and then they retreat quickly to their offices. But that's not what a true shepherd is, right? Think about the role of a real shepherd, a man with a staff guiding a, a flock of sheep. He can't do that work from an office chair. No, a skilled shepherd spends his days with his sheep. A skilled shepherd knows the younger and the older sheep. He, he knows which sheep are weak and, and, are, and which are strong. He knows which ones are prone to wander and need to be brought back. A good shepherd sleeps under the stars, protecting and listening for danger on behalf of his sheep. A, a faithful shepherd doesn't look at his flock and just see a mass of wool on legs. No, he's able to look at his flock and see individual sheep. And he knows them by name. Dr. Timothy Laniak, who is a professor who, 
who trains and raises up young pastors. Uh, Dr. Laniak took a year-long sabbatical in 2003 in order to visit many different Middle Eastern countries in order to study this, this picture of a shepherd more fully. And during his year-long sabbatical, he, he spent extensive time living with and interviewing many modern-day shepherds in these countries. And he tells the story of one interview with a shepherd named Abu. He asked Abu about how much contact he had with his flock of 2,000 sheep. Now, Abu was a very successful, very affluent shepherd with a lot of hired help around him. And so he could have retired to his home and not done the active work of a shepherd. He could have told others to do that work. But his response to Dr. Laniac's question about how much time do you spend with your sheep was this. He said, I am with my sheep every day. In the summer, I sleep outside with them too. If I weren't with them every day, he said, I shouldn't be their shepherd. Church, this is true. A pastor should be among and be a part of the church. Church members should know their pastors. And that can only happen when a pastor lives within the community of the church and not above it or, or beside it. And, and we want this as pastors here at Redeemer Fellowship as well. And we love how we experience it with all of you. We love you. We love spending time with you. We love being one of you. Jason and I speak often about how we view ourselves first as members of Redeemer Fellowship before we are pastors of Redeemer Fellowship. We are just part of the community. A pastor needs to live in community. Point number four, pastors need extra local care. So verse one continues. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Now, very briefly, what we see here is the biblical model of extra local care and partnership being put on display. P Peter was not one of the local elders that he's writing to in these churches, but, but he chooses to relate to them still as a fellow elder. And that speaks to the, the beautiful picture of partnership that we see everywhere in the New Testament between churches and between pastoral teams. Listen, pastors should not pastor alone. They need team ministry. They need plurality. But pastoral teams should also not pastor alone. No, they need partnership with other churches and other pastoral teams. In Redeemer Fellowship, this is why we thank God for Sovereign Grace Churches as much as we do. We love our denomination. We love our family of churches. And we, we spoke of many of the benefits of our denomination on Tuesday night at our members meeting. But there are even more benefits to our partnership than just that. Not only does it help us to be doing global mission work throughout this world. We, we thank God for the 32 nations that Sovereign Grace has ministry in right now. And not only is partnership an encouragement to your pastor's heart and souls as they get to relate to other pastors. No, extra local partnership is also a significant blessing to every individual member of the church as well. One way that this is true is in how extra local partnership holds us as pastors accountable to how we shepherd and care for you. Church, did you know 
that within Sovereign Grace churches, there are policies and procedures in place that allow members of a local church who feel as if their pastors are not being faithful to their call, or if they have a charge against the character of a pastor, there are ways that members of a local church can invite the care and leadership and accountability of extra local churches to come in and to help. That's a huge gift to the members of the church that would not be possible apart from our denominational family within Sovereign Grace. And there are many other benefits as well. Yes, we thank God for sovereign grace. It's a blessing to pastors and to church members, and we want to celebrate it as often as we can. A pastor needs extra local care. Point number five, pastors need to long for glory. They need to long for glory. I love how Peter continues. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. When when Peter references the sufferings of Christ here, we should know by now that this is perfectly consistent with the rest of his writing in this letter. The, The sufferings of Christ have been spoken of frequently throughout 1 Peter, and they've been spoken of as an example that we are to follow in. And so it seems that in this verse, Peter is referencing the the sufferings of Christ, and then he makes a quick transition to the hope of glory as an encouragement to weary and suffering pastors. He wants to point these elders beyond the individual moments of pain and trial within ministry. He wants to point these pastors beyond the fear of persecution against the church. He wants to point these passages beyond the bone-deep weariness of caring for church members who are stuck in sin, beyond the weight and anxiety of, of, of walking through t- trial. Peter's directing these pastors beyond the, the immediate burden of preparing another message to feed the church or, or beyond the moments of being misunderstood and accused of, of leading poorly. Peter, throughout his letter, has been pointing the church as a whole to the hope of glory. He has said, set your minds fully in this place. But he's now pausing, and in a particular way, he's looking at the pastors, and he's encouraging them in their ministry to set their hope in this place as well as they labor and even as they suffer in a particular way under the weight of ministry. I love how Peter says that he is a fellow elder, and that he is a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. That glory still needs to be revealed when when Christ returns, but because of the sufferings of Christ, because of the gospel, it is a certainty, not a hope or a question. In fact, Peter and all pastors and all of God's people can say right now, like Peter does, that we are partakers of that glory, even right now this morning. Church, this is an amazing thing for our souls. Pastors need to hear this as they fight and struggle for faith to lead the church, and, and the church as a whole needs to hear this as they wrestle through life again. Brothers and sisters, again this morning, again, as we make our way through First Peter, be encouraged yet again, no matter what you are going through right now, no matter how lonely, no matter how hurting, No matter how tired you are, no matter how anxious you are about the future in this world, Peter reminds us here that glory is coming. Heaven awaits 
we will be victorious even as we feel defeated in the here and the now. Pastors need to look forward to glory. Point number six, pastors need to shepherd the flock. And folks, here we find the very heart of these verses, the very heart of Peter's exhortation. This is the center of this text. Much of what we've seen so far are hints at what pastors need. But this, verse 2, is what pastors must do. Verse 2, Peter says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now, what does that mean for us as pastors? Well, again, we get at what that means by considering what an actual pastor does and by considering the terms that Peter uses here to describe us. A shepherd's responsibility is is to live with and to live for the well-being of his flock. And that happens in a number of different ways. A pastor's role is diverse and varied throughout ministry. See, in this passage, we, we even see three words used by Peter to describe the role of a pastor. We see the word elder, we see the word shepherd, and we see the word overseer as well. They all speak to the, the pastor's role. First of all, we must be, we must be elders. We must have a spiritual maturity about us. We must not be careless about how we live our lives. We must not be recent converts. We need to have maturity established in our lives in order to lead the people of God. Pastors also must be shepherds, and this is probably the most practical of the words used here. This this idea of shepherding speaks of the need for pastors to, to feed and to teach and to correct and to protect, and to direct. This is the pastor's calling as a shepherd. And how do we do this? Church, we do this with the word of God. Paul charges the young pastor Timothy in First and Second Timothy to, to preach the word in season and out of season. Faithful shepherds use the staff of God's word to guide and care for God's people. And then finally, pastors must also exercise oversight. There must be overseers, meaning we must watch over the practices and the direction and the mission of the church. We must stand watch as leaders and we must bring direction in both spiritual and practical matters. A pastor is called to care for the flock and that happens not just through preaching and counseling but through bringing leadership and direction and vision to the people of God in all church-related matters. Yes, the pastor is called to many things but he does it all for the sake of the flock and for God's glory. And folks, we could have another point in this sermon about the pastor needing a flock to shepherd. The the clear implication of all of this is that a pastor needs a flock to lead. A clear implication and application of this text is, is of church membership and that the people within the church should value active participation in a local church that allows shepherds to lead them through this life. But we don't have time for that, so let's move on. Point number seven, pastors need to cultivate joy. Friends, too many pastors hate their jobs. Too many pastors view their role with the church with contempt. 
or maybe just as a mere vocation or career that they need to be faithful to and grit out. When in reality, pastoral ministry is an incredibly honorable and joyful calling. To walk in this role as under-shepherds of the chief shepherd, oh, this is a privilege. And it should always be seen that way by faithful pastors. Look at what Peter says. He says, do this not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Those words, willingly and eagerly, they speak of desire and even enjoyment in these things. A loving shepherd should not be forced to do his job. He shouldn't care for his sheep begrudgingly and then go home and do what he really wants to do with his time. No, a pastor should find great joy and delight and exuberance in his calling. Friends, how can we not, if we're faithful, if a pastor is following the chief shepherd, if we're following King Jesus, then our eyes are fixed on the hope of the gospel and we, more than anyone, know what God is doing in our lives and in the lives of his people in the both good and the bad. If we do not pastor eagerly, if we lack joy, that means that we've forgotten the power and the hope of the gospel. If we have no joy in the task, then it likely means that we have lost hope in Christ. But when we keep our eyes on him, the chief shepherd, our our service should be marked by eager and joyful activity in anticipation of what God is calling and equipping us to be and to do. Church family, I hope and I pray that you experience this from both Jason and myself. We do love being your pastors. There are few honors in my life greater than being able to shepherd Redeemer Fellowship. You know, there's a a new documentary on ESPN about Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time. Jordan was an unbelievably skilled basketball player and And playing basketball in the NBA was his job. It was his career for 15 seasons. And there were many highs and lows, many struggles throughout those 15 years of basketball. But did you know that Michael Jordan had a clause in his contract with the Chicago Bulls? A a clause in his contract. It was called a, a love of the game clause. So though basketball was his job, it was his career, it's how he got paid, Jordan never wanted to stop loving the game. He wanted to be able to play whenever and wherever he could and, and, wherever, and when, however he wanted to. He didn't want to be restrict, restricted by his employment as a basketball player. Friends, I want that to be a little bit of my life as a pastor as well. If I ever run out of love for ministry, I should quickly step out of ministry. This is too great a thing for us to do begrudgingly. As Christ loved us and joyfully sacrificed for us, so we as his under-shepherds should find great joy in following in his steps. And this is so important because the joy in ministry will change the way that we do ministry. And that brings us to our eighth point. Point number eight, pastors need to be gentle. Peter says in verse three, to do this not domineering over those in your charge. Here's the thing. When when leaders find joy in the gospel as they should, 
they will then find joy in their ministry. And when they find joy in their ministry, they will lead the church in gentleness. But it's when people have taken their eyes off of the chief shepherd. It's when we forget the gospel as leaders that bad things begin to happen. First of all, we just start leading in our own strength. And and when we lead in our own strength, we begin to domineer over others. We become pushy in our leadership. We become rough in our care. We, We want people to do what we want them to do rather than allowing the grace of God to be gently at work in their lives. That's That's where poor leadership comes from. Abusive pastors and abusive leaders of the church are those that have forgotten the power of the gospel that they are preaching to the church. And they're relying too much on their own strength. Abusive leadership also happens when pastors forget who they are in Christ. If if pastors forget that they already have everything that they need for life and for godliness and for joy and for peace. If we forget that we have all of these things in Christ, then pastors will begin to look to others for what they need and want. And they will control others in order to get what they want. They will manipulate others. They will serve others, but only for selfish gain, as Peter says here. But when we cultivate joy in ministry... When we see it as a privilege and an honor, it's then that we will lead with gentleness and grace and love because gentleness comes from trusting God. Now, it's not that a pastor does not have authority to carry or that a pastor should should not exercise that authority. No, we are called by God as pastors to, to govern and to protect the church. And at times, church, that will require strong and clear leadership against certain patterns within the church. And it will take courage and boldness on our part. But that strength of courage and leadership must come not from our own authority, but from the authority of Christ. Paul the Apostle is perhaps the greatest example of this in the New Testament. Paul the Apostle, who had incredible authority over the church, even when he writes to the church of God that is in Corinth. And the church of God in Corinth was a pretty jacked up church. They had a lot of issues. They needed to be corrected. They needed to be directed. But Paul still does it with remarkable gentleness and with a shepherding care. He loves them because he trusts God for them. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul describes his pastoral leadership as like a nursing mother caring for her child. He says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own child, meaning that he and other apostles led with grace and not with force. A pastor must be gentle. Point number nine, pastors need to have godly character. Peter continues, he says, do this not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter makes the connection here from from being gentle leaders to being godly examples. And really what he's speaking of here is the the need for sincerity in the pastor's heart before God. As, As pastors, We should be conformed by the gospel before we seek to preach to others about the gospel. A pastor's ministry is not just in his words, but in his actions as well. And this is seen throughout the New Testament 
also, particularly in the, the pastoral epistles in, in 1 Timothy and in Titus. Paul gives the, the qualifications for, for pastors. Most of those qualifications are just characteristics that, that are not distinct from other Christian men and women, but, but they are highlighted in a way to say that pastors should excel at these things. They should have maturity in these things as they seek to live for Christ. How we live out the gospel is a significant part of being faithful to preach the gospel. This past week, I read one of my favorite books. It's called The Reformed Pastor by the Puritan Richard Baxter. Uh, and in this old classic book, in typical Puritan form, the, the first like hundred pages of the book uh, were Richard Baxter charging pastors to shepherd their own hearts before they shepherded the church. He says to pastors, he says this, take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine, and lest you lay such stumbling blocks before the blind as may be the occasion of their ruin, lest you unsay with your lies what you say with your tongues, and be the greatest hinderers of the success of your own labors." pastor's life should not contradict his doctrine. They should be consistent to each other. Now, this does not mean that a pastor should be perfect or that a pastor's family should be perfect. God knows that we are far from that. But a pastor's shepherd should be able to be seen by his people as a faithful example of what it means to live for Christ in this world. And so, Sean and Nathan even as we are thrilled that you are now on the ordination track, and even as you're going to be reading and studying books for hundreds of hours over the next two years, Peter charges you in the midst of all that to not ignore your life and your godliness. Keep a close watch on yourself, he says. Keep watch on your soul, brothers. How you walk in humility, how you love and serve your family, how you exercise self-control, how you use your words to build up and not to tear down. Brothers, be shaped by the gospel before you seek to preach the gospel. Friends, that brings us to point number 10, our final point. Pastors need a chief shepherd. We need a chief shepherd. Peter concludes with these words, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And there is no better way for Peter to end than with this, by focusing our eyes on Jesus, the chief shepherd. He, he ends, in a sense, where he began. King Jesus is coming back, and he's going to judge his church. He's going to test his people. He's going to prove their faith. And that testing and that proving is going to begin with the pastors, the elders of the church. But listen, as we saw last week in chapter 4, this is not reason to fear. Because King Jesus promises that those that have faith in him will be proven faithful. Peter says that we will receive a crown of glory. And indirectly, that is for the church as well. If the pastors are faithful, indirectly, Peter is saying that the church will be judged faithful as well. Why? All because of Jesus, the chief shepherd, the one who laid down his life for the sheep, the one who died so that you and I might live, who gave us everything that we need for life and godliness. All because of Jesus. 
we will receive crowns of glory on that final day. But do you know what will happen when we receive that crown? Whether it be as faithful members of the church or as leaders of the church. When we receive that crown from the hand of King Jesus, we will turn and we will throw them down at his feet. Because what pastor, church, what Christian man or woman can cling to any glory in themselves? Because it's all of Christ. It's all of his grace. He has loved us. He has sacrificed for us. He has equipped us. And he is the one that is going to sustain us. He will call and equip pastors to be faithful to their calling. And he will call and equip church members to follow him, the chief shepherd, even as they follow imperfect and fallen under shepherds. Friends, pastors are gifts of guidance to God's people who must themselves be guided by God's grace. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his grace in our lives. We need him and we need the gifts and guidance and and pastoral leadership that he has given to us to follow until that final day this is all of grace church pray for your pastors pray for strength pray for wisdom and pray for grace to follow them well until we all together see our savior face to face